Okay, so welcome back to Click. I am DJ. Today I have with me... Maddie O. And... Ayana. And today we're going to be talking about uh, black women... Black representation, uh, the representation of black women. Goodness. Um, so. Okay, so just just as a disclaimer, you might hear pages shuffling around or turning of pages, but that's because we are students and we don't have all these things on the top of our head all the time. So we'll be referring to different texts just for credibility's sake and mm-hmm. to be as accurate as possible. So if you hear some little page flipping, it's us. It's intentional. So. All right, so we can just move into Pass Me the Remote. Okay. Hey, Pass Me the Remote. So, what are we talking about today, guys? We're talking about colorism. We're talking about colorism. We're talking about the sexuality uh, displayed in the black sitcom for for women. And uh, we can... what, what else? We can touch on some feminism. Okay. I think so too. Touch on touch on some feminism like um with Claire in the Cosby show. Um let's see. We can talk about some stereotype casting that, that goes on oh, yeah. in the black sitcom as well. Um what, what are some things that you guys notice about black women represented in in TV, one thing that I, that just automatically I think of I don't remember if y'all remember that conversation in class we had I think it was this racing I can't remember if it was racing for ratings African Americans on, on television or if it was Color by Fox, but in one of those books they talked about how like the creators of the show or like the people that finance it or the producers had to like or had like consultants like black consultants or whatever. Mm-hmm for like how to best represent these things. I'm like, I don't know if we can look in the books and see if they talk about black women in that way. Like if they were like searching for like people to coach them on what, how to best represent black women or whatever. I don't know if that's like something we could talk about either or this, two. This is for like newer shows or this is yeah, like... Yeah, I think they like for Fresh Prince, they did that. Like they had like consultants. Oh, wow. Instead of just flat out hiring black writers, they had Yeah, they had like, yeah, I think that's so. That's crazy. Uh, I was watching a video like uh, a little earlier and we were, it was basically uh, about black women in comedy and they had on there a, a a white writer. She was talking about how, um, she's in the writer's room of, I think it was, uh, the nightly show. And, um, there were some moments that like, she's in a room full of black writers and everyone is uh referencing world star and she had no idea what what that meant or what it was referring to and she um was basically saying that the the fact that she had if she was not in a a room full of black writers then there would have been something like critical to the joke that was being written that she would never have understood exactly and then um there was a point in the in the video where Amanda Seals is talking about she can write every single uh, story for a white character in her in a script because she's seen every single kind of story from a white woman's perspective in Sex in the City, Friends, uh, uh, what the nanny, mm-hmm. and she's and the fact that there's 
such a small number of uh, stories that black women represent that it's infinitely harder for someone to write a story about a black woman and they're not in a black body. Yeah, so I, I'm wondering, like, we, we could probably do some like on-the-site research. Like, were there any black women on these, in the production of these things? But not the acting, but, like, the production. And also something else I want to interrogate. I think um, something that I just grinds my gears is, like, how, like, the film, like, Tyler Perry films, like, they're funny. But, like, I would really love to interrogate him maybe his motivations and how he represents black women and just in general like uh i know there's a lot of colorism sprinkled into his mm-hmm. not even sprinkled it is it's there woven, always, always it is into in, overt intricately woven throughout tyler perry's um films so i just want to interrogate him quite a bit <laughs> maybe yeah, do, you, do you see any because i haven't watched like a lot of his shows in depth but have you seen any uh colorism within the shows meet the browns House of Pain. In Heaven uh, Have Nots, um, there's a character, her name is Candace, she's dark skinned, and it's like she's just she's the evil person of the show. So there are dark skinned women throughout the show, and one of them's a maid, and she's poor. Um just trying to find an example. Lower income, I guess. And then her daughter is Candace, and she's seen as the evil person. She's very sexual. She's hypersexual. Um, so, like, and as far as Tyler Perry's movies, like, yes, there most certainly is colors. I read a paper on it a couple semesters ago, so we can really talk about that. Oh, that's good, especially with the men. Like, the men who yeah. are darker complected are always, like... The villains. Yeah, they're always the villains. So, um, and then there's also, like, this this weird... Um, hi, well, the hypersexualization huh? of black women, especially dark skinned women, plays into these movies too. Mm-hmm. So we'll leave that for on second thought and we'll move into real talk. Okay, so real talk though. Okay, so real talk. What are, what are some of the better uh, parts of representation that you guys see in the black sitcom? Of black women. Oh, for black women, yeah. yeah. Um, when I look at girlfriends and I see John Um, I see John and I see she's a very well-rounded, um, successful black woman. And then I see um, an insecure where there's Molly. And she's a very well-rounded, successful black woman as well. Um, I think those are better representations than what have of black women than what we have been represented as in the past. Yeah. Um, uh, I I love seeing black women in these professional positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, credence is given to the black woman, like in in good times, where the mom she. She's in a working class position, yet she's still empowered. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, it's important to give, bring light to all experiences of black womanhood, mm-hmm. not just glorify one over the other, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So Absolutely. like the Claire is no, is no better than the, mm-hmm. the Ruth in uh, a raisin in the sun. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or uh, Aunt Viv and Fresh Prince, like 
who's a whole professor out here. But yeah. We, I mean, she's no better than Nikki from Parkers. Yeah. It's just, we have this beautiful spectrum yeah. of black women doing boss everything. things, doing black everything. Women things. Black women can be all things. Yes. And that's one thing I love about the sitcom. And uh, one thing I like about like shows like uh, A Different World and uh, Living Single is the fact that there you have so many black women, light skin, dark skin. It doesn't matter what complexion they are. They they are, they all have a, a dream that they are are achieving and are pursuing, and it's never really deferred for uh, a man like you would see in you know any regular uh, representation or any stereotypical representation of a black woman. Okay. So like you used a, a term there that we always talk about in class, the dream deferred. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's a Langston Hughes poem, uh, the dream deferred or a dream deferred. And I just wanted to read that for audiences. So they, it's very short so that they know what we're talking about. So it's called Harlem by Langston Hughes. And he says, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? And so that's what we're talking about with the dream deferred. Um, We're talking about what happens to a dream, perhaps the American dream, when it is not actualized for all American citizens. And so that's like a, like a theme that like DJ was talking about there when he was talking about black women's dreams being deferred in a sense or not deferred. <laughs> so. Yeah. Cause um, like, and when you compare someone like Kim in a different world and Maxine in living single to uh, Benita in a raisin in the sun. And you see that none of these characters allow their dreams to be like put off to the side for, this traditional role of uh, a wife or uh, a mother. And I find that like extremely positive for like, because say I have a daughter, I, I don't want her to think that the only thing she can be is somebody's, you know, ma- wife or baby mama or, yeah. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I applaud like all the represent all the great representations that we have in the black sitcoms like um like in insecure like you were saying and in uh dear white people all these black women are at a ivy league college and i mean i don't know if anybody really talking about it so i just i mean yeah i really think that they're like you made like an interesting distinction that between and this kind of brings in the element of agency and empowerment but the, the difference between casting somebody as a baby mama versus mm-hmm. a mother. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, there's a difference between those two things. Like, somebody's baby mama is like, your, your identity is attached to the father of the child. Whether you being a mother is, I don't know, I, I guess all words are defined by their words. But to me, baby mama versus mother, mother to me sounds much more. And there's, like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm done. Energy. You're good. But, um. And there's definitely this negative representation uh, connotation that comes with the baby mama, uh, you know, role. And we. Well, well hold on. Okay. <laughs> there's 
Oh, oh my goodness. I had it in my head. And I, and it just... <laughs> There's a negative conversation when it comes to um, being a baby mama versus being a mother that I don't, I don't necessarily like it because yeah. it's always as if, well, in order for you to be considered a mother, you have to be married and all this um, other stuff. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a baby mama, like you didn't marry your partner or you didn't marry the father of your child. Yeah. And so, therefore, you are seen as less than, you're yeah. cast lower. That's true. But I guess, like, the way that I was kind of thinking about it, which I, mean, I think that your way, like, what you just said, kind of encapsulates the, I don't know, just the way we generally think about the terms. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, in, ta- in calling somebody a baby mama, you're, like, essentially, like, ta- taking all the same actions that she would be taking as a mother and demeaning them in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, her... Um, I don't know. I, I can't really explain what I'm trying to say, but like, it is like anything that a that someone who's considered a baby mama does is already like negative. Like trying to basically like if you're trying to support your kids, like it's your your. I don't know. I can't really just, I, y'all get what I'm saying. I, I think I think um the negative connotation comes kind of like from a patriarchal yes uh, established uh, rule about women in which. If she's not married to you, if she's, you know, like, if she's uh, just, just the, uh, if you're, you know, if the fact that you guys had a baby together is illegitimate because, you know, you um, y'all, didn't y'all just didn't get married and y'all just did the deed, y'all did the deed, goodness, I can't talk today, <laughs> y'all did the deed and y'all just had a baby, then like you said, she's less than she's not. She's not of the same value, even though a lot of like black black men would agree in saying that their mothers have value, despite the fact that their fathers are not in the household. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure those fathers would consider your mama a baby mama, and you wouldn't say the same thing, but you would cast that identity out negatively toward all these other women. Yeah, it's it's a way to almost discredit you. Or dismiss you mm-hmm. if you're if they if they call you a baby mama mm-hmm. when when it comes down to it you are a mother just as much as a, of a mother as someone who's married is exactly and um I th- I think we um well I'll actually I'll save that portion for on second thought but do y'all see a uh, sexual agency when it comes to like. In the sitcom, like yes, I think even just just from watching the Moesha uh, theme song title mm-hmm. credit thing, like she the 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 agency and ownership that she you could that you can just see that she has over herself and her body and her desires is just it's completely visible. I think that's dope. I actually, <laughs> like one of, uh, one of the portions on one portion of the reading. Um, What's her name? Lisa Guerrero. She was talking about how Living Single was originally named uh, My Girls. And the studio wanted to change the uh, change the name to Living Single because the women needed to have a like a goal or a sen- there needed to be a sense of normalcy be- um, in the fact that they are single and they which means there's a pursuit of of a man or of a relationship or there is a um they are taking a like they're 
distinctively showing you that there is that there is a lack of a relationship like the the relationship between the women isn't enough for the for the studio it needs to be they need to be like okay where's the man where's uh mr right i think that was this is that's not the book it was in it's in uh color by fox i'm looking for it right now so bear with me you guys okay um you go ahead i was just gonna say uh with that i even i think that's a problem though why can't the relationship between these women, amongst these women, be enough. Why does it? Why do they have to chase something? And um, in this book that I'm reading called "The Sisters Are All Right," well, I've read it already, but <laughs> rereading. Um, there's a line in here that says, "It is single women who are considered societal problems," and that contributes to the idea of it. The name having to be changed to living single because they have to be in pursuit of something or else they're just going to be a problem. Yeah, because I think historically single women were seen as a threat because there was no other than your father Mm -hmm. being this sort of restrictive male presence. There is no restrictive male presence. Mm -hmm. You have the ownership over yourself. Nobody else owns you. Yeah. And of course, women were already originally seen as property. Yeah. From jump. Black we, women even more. Yeah. Golly. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll even... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, and I'm that sorry. always One contributed thing. to the, the Sapphire character. So there's the Mammy versus Jezebel versus yes. Sapphire. And it's everything that women Wait. do not want What's to What's Sapphire? I've never heard that Sapphire one. is the more verbose woman the the single woman she's okay. loud she doesn't she she isn't docile she's not submissive okay so pan yes okay that's why i was gonna use it okay and uh can you like define for the for the audience the jezebel and uh jezebel is the more sexual which i was gonna bring up when we talked about olivia and oh. then um mammy is the the matriarch she's more asexual florida asexual yeah okay yeah, kind of like Florida. Florida. So Florida's Jezebel, Olivia. No, no, no. Is... <laughs> no. Oh, no. no. Oh, Florida's no. Mandy. Florida's Florida's Mandy. Mandy. Oh, goodness. Olivia is more. <laughs> he said Florida's a Jezebel. <laughs> oh, no. Florida is Mammy, uh, or her her persona would be considered more Mammy. Okay. And then um, Olivia's persona would be considered more Jezebel, which I have my own thoughts about. And then. Mm, We're going to talk about that. Um. <laughs> And then um, Pam's character would be considered, her persona would be considered more sapphire. Okay. Okay. So when, earlier when you said that like women were considered property and then black women even more, it just made me think about this whole, like the whole, this is kind of a tangent, but like the whole, whole thing about marriage and like giving, like giving the father. You have to give them away. Like to, I never understood. Like, mm. It makes me not want to have anybody walk me down the aisle or right. anything. It makes me not even want to have a ring, by the way, because the ring is a symbol, symbol of like, like their I'll ownership. You, yeah. mm-hmm. But like when your father walks you down the aisle, he's giving you as his property. It's a transfer of property. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is a business transaction. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And then like with the layer of race, like you're all, like, you're, ugh, I don't even want to say these things out loud. Never mind. So I found I found the uh, the quote. This is uh, "Living Single" and the fight from uh, Mr. Wright. And the person who wrote the essay is. Let me see. Let me find her. Oh, doesn't say. Okay. So I'll I'll we'll link that in the description below. Uh, so it says. For example, a revealing bit of living single trivia involves the battle over the show's title. Initially dubbed My Girls by Bowser, the name was changed to Living Single by network executives 
in order to avoid what they feared would uh, amount to male alienation. With the change came a whole host of narrative shifts. Contrary to Bowser's intentions, the show went from being a slice-of-life comedy about girlfriends to a narrative about the male quest and the fight for Mr. Right as part of a two, uh, as one of two-part episodes was dubbed. Why is male alienation an issue? That's what I'm saying. Like it reminds me of the same rhetoric that like the alt writers are using with like white alienation. We're being <laughs> erased and all this stuff. Like so, like is the fear? Is it a fear of male erasure? Like that women cannot exist without men? I know we're getting to the problematic stuff, but like just we're it's kind of all blending together <laughs> but at this point. To be honest, like so, like why is it the fact that you males can't watch a story about four women living together? Like, or maybe it's just not for you. all Maybe it's not. You have to think about that. Why do you always have to include yourself in everything? That, okay. But that's that just is. like, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in Passing the Remote, where like, we wanted to interrogate, like, were there any black women in the, you know, production of these shows? Obviously not. Like, I mean, I just feel like the fear of male alienation just kind of shows like, that this show threatens something. Help produce a little but it's just like when Will Smith kind of helped produce Fresh Prince, you know? Yeah. I think that's the same kind of idea. But, you know, correct us if we're wrong. We might be completely wrong about, like, the production of the show. So, if you know, audience, DM us real quick. Also, if you could all let us know any representation, like, behind the scenes in any of the, um, any shows like Friends or Seinfeld or any of those, like, <laughs> white shows, oh. quote-unquote, to where, because uh, we just, I would love to shout them out on, uh, our co- I would love to shout out our cousins down the block in that uh, in that way. In that way. I really think that Friends, I've watched the whole thing like once or twice and I don't, I know there are some black folks, but not it was that two. two. There were two. <laughs> so, black women? And just one, I think it was two black women. Yeah. They were in love interest. And they I think, yeah, Ross dated called. a black woman. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm, unless I'm, I, get, I get friends and how I met your mother confused a lot. It was Ross. He dated a black woman. I think she came back twice. Okay. And again, they didn't last very long. Were there any uh, black men on the show? I don't no. even, not at all. Okay, Sex and the City black men? I don't know. Black I never women. watched it. No. Okay. No, no. Okay, so... um. Samantha dated a black guy, but that's problematic in itself because it's Sex in the City, and then it's Samantha. Samantha is the the more sexual one of the show, Mm -hmm. and she's more experienced and adventurous, and Mm. she's it was like a checklist thing. Yeah. Wow. Gotcha. And so, like, I kind of just want to like when we say something's problematic, we mean that it's like demeaning the agency or the humanity of another person in the process Mm -hmm. so just defining our terms a little bit but i think um are y'all ready to move on to on second thought because i think we're really itching to talk about problems yeah because that's probably the the biggest thing that i wanted to touch on yeah so let's move on all right see y'all there um on second thought all right guys welcome back we are gonna get into the problematic things in on second thought so many things so many things where do we begin let's mm-hmm. talk about olivia because i really okay. want to do this uh, uh we're talking about olivia from scandal okay olivia Pope. y'all y'all have that i've never seen scandal i'm pretty sure i don't want to try so <laughs> we gonna we gonna exhibit one day 
We gonna try skin. Oh, okay. They date, by the way, y'all. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't tell my business. <laughs> um, I just thought it was cute the way they just did that. Uh, <laughs> you can edit that out. It's okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Olivia Pope. Olivia Pope. Um, the first thing. Okay, so when me and DJ were talking about this, the first thing that was brought up was uh, she be sucking on the president's dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I think people see that as an issue. Um, I, I see that as an issue, that statement, because that's that's how people see her. Like, it's always an issue of her being the white man's whore and all this other stuff, yeah. which is... I get where people are coming from when they do that, but and in my defense, you haven't I, seen it. I, the only thing I've seen about Scandal is the parody on Dear White People. Yes. Okay. So go ahead. I'm sorry. But even with that, I think, like we said, women can be all things. And yeah. I think people always try to erase everything else that she is with that one thing. Like, it's like, well, she's, she keeps demeaning herself for the president. So it's, it's like, yeah, it takes your power away, but it doesn't because of, because it is a choice. It's a choice. There's a, but there's also this really interesting, like racial background narrative at play. And Olivia herself alludes to this, this uh, Sally Hemings, Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. vibe. Yes. Where, and it, it, for those who don't know, here's your history lesson. So Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States, correct? Maybe? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and he was a slave owner. And we, yep, he wrote the Declaration of Independence that, de, that in effect, it more or less deplored slavery and blamed the British for bringing slavery here. Yeah, at the same time, Thomas Jefferson wrote this manifesto, I'll call it, called The Notes on the State of Virginia. Actually, it's not a manifesto. It's a quote-unquote natural history of Virginia where he uh, talks about how black women would more or less breed with the orangutan and, like, talking about uh, the ugliness of black women and all this stuff, yet at the same time was uh, raping a black woman, uh, one of his wives' slaves mm-hmm. named Sally Hemings. Mm-hmm. And they had at least six children together. And the, uh, this is getting kind of scholarly, but in the historical and the historiography of this um, this moment episode in history between Hemings and Jefferson, a lot of people want to characterize it as a love relationship, yet she was 14 years old. Right. And also she was a slave. So... The, the comparison is that Olivia makes in that episode between her and Hemings is that she does not want to feel like a Sally Hemings. I can't remember the exact quote, but it only makes sense because or she makes that comparison because she's a black woman uh, in an affair with the president. Mm-hmm. Yet the vital difference between Hemings and Olivia Pope is the consent and the element of choice. Hemings, I do not think, had that element of choice mm-hmm. because... She was underage, by our definition of underage, the 21st century definition of underage, yet that, can, that, that itself does not even apply because she was a slave. She was property. And so she 
there was no way for her to even decide. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what, even if she wanted that, which I can't say she did, because even if, even if that were the case, she did not have that element of choice because she was property. So that's the historical background of that. I have a question about Olivia. So we, we talk about, um, you guys say that it was, it's a choice Mm -hmm. and it, it is. And I, I definitely agree with this, with your uh, philosophy on in that point. Is Olivia playing into the um, the narrative of the black woman as if she's a, or the woman period as if she's a manipulative? She's um, trying to she can make a man do anything just with the um, just. Tempting him with with sex. No, originally, okay. So with their relationship becomes love and all this other stuff. So with mm-hmm. that, I don't think that's ever her intent. Yeah. Okay. But there are moments when she knows, like, I can get you to do this from you if if, if I ask you. Mm-hmm. I know you'll do it. But at the same time, there's this, there's this ever present power dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. Of her being a black woman and him being a white man. Mm-hmm. And like that, that like with interracial relationship is such a touchy, hard thing to navigate. See, because I'm in, I am myself in an inter- interracial relationship. I'm a mixed race woman who identifies as black, dating a white man. So like, while I don't completely identify with Olivia because like it's not an affair, it's a like full on relationship, like committed committed to each other type of thing. That the the historical resonance of your relationship, you, that's still something you have to, like, that you still grapple with, yeah. you know? Um, I'm going to bring, bring up a point. You talked about how the only way that you know or the only reason why you said what you said about um, Olivia is because of the um, parody on Dear White People. Mm-hmm. That parody is a representation of how a lot of people in the black community see her. Okay. And can you? I haven't I, seen this parody, so can y'all like explain? Okay. The the parody is <laughs> called defamation. And so, uh, you you go ahead. The parody is called defamation, and um, there's a black woman, and there's this weird scene where she gets down on her knees and says something like, "I pledge allegiance to your cock" or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. And. It's terrible. Um, okay, I think I think what the thing they're missing is that like they're they're both each other's ultimate weakness. Yes. Like really. Yes. 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 Like it's not just her that's just like fun because like, there there are times when she's like f you like yeah, and, and he's, he's like, and he's like no oh, no baby come back <laughs> I can't live with that so, that kind of thing. <laughs> when you say his uh he is her ultimate weakness, what do you, what do you mean? Like. She's like it's, they will do anything for, for each other. other. She's a very very powerful woman. And that's like, where th- I'm sorry. No, you're good. Like I was that's gonna why, say, that's why I think it's not necessarily manipulation because that's just that's just a thing of love. I will do anything for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they 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 are truly in love with each other. Yeah. It's just like I don't know. I, maybe I haven't watched like the most recent episode, so I don't really know what's going on at this point. But like where I was. It, they were at this juncture where, like... It's over now. Like, this whole show's over? Show's over. <laughs> oh, well, dang. Um, they were at this juncture where, like, he just wasn't willing to leave Nellie. Mm-hmm. 
So that's, I mean, all that's over, honestly. Like, okay. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. Like, but this. The divorce and everything. <laughs> Oh, Nelly? Melly and Fitz. Me- not Nelly. Golly. Okay, okay. Nelly and Melly. So, M. Melly. My bad. So, so I, we understand this um, positive representation of black sexual, black women's sexuality in uh, uh, Scandal. Mm-hmm. And, but but when, there's always the Jezebel. Okay, so Jezebel. what I was getting to was the Jezebel thing. So yeah. that's what people all would. That's an issue that black people always have with her in the show is because it's like you're portraying this Jezebel character and all this other stuff because it's like, it's always about sex with y'all. Well, not always about sex with y'all, but like... Y'all relationships, y'all relationships based around sex? There's there's always that power dynamic yeah. in, this, in how it ties in with yeah. their sexual relationship. And... Um, but because women can be all things... things yeah. There's like, a... There's a there's a line in this book, and the sisters are all right, and it says, um, women are always like, I can't be that Jezebel. I can't be that Jezebel. We're so busy trying not to be the Jezebel that we don't acknowledge our inner Jezebels and say that she's okay. So it's like, we don't acknowledge the fact that women can be all things, that yeah. we can we can be successful and we can have this level of power and still be a human, still be a woman and still have these feelings we can reappropriate the jezebel right like own your inner jezebel because the just calling you a jezebel is someone's way of trying to own you right so and re like it's okay to take ownership of your sexuality and sexual freedom mm-hmm. because ultimately like olivia it is a choice for her to be right. misfits or not but it's always like why is she gonna be like that and why is she doing all this but then <sighs> so do we I think it's interesting that with the Jezebel narrative, um, a lot of, in, in the black sitcom, a lot of the women who play into that narrative of always being sexual are darker complected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just about to ask that. Yeah. And that kind of uh, segues into colorism. Yeah. So, listeners, tell us what you think about Scandal. Do What do you think about the power dynamic between, you know, the... Uh, him being a white man, her being a black woman. Um, and I don't even know if we want to ask this question, but like, I know it's a hot topic in general, like about interracial relationships. Like, I don't know. Like, is it, I know if people ask, like, is it pro black to like date outside your race or whatever? Like, so I don't even know if we should even ask that question to the audience. We can edit that out. But like, I mean, I think it is. I think it's fine. But like, yeah, I think it's fine. <laughs> but some people don't. And I don't know. Who oh man. Who was in it? I remember watching uh, A Different World and this white guy was uh it was in uh misunderstanding and uh Shib- Oh, Shib- okay, so uh, okay, so Kim was dating a white guy and um Shaza wrote a book. Yeah. Hmm. Shaza. About when the issue with men and went black men and women and mm-hmm. it's like black men you're not treating our women right and because of this we already lost one mm-hmm. <sighs> they don't end up together do they the, the no, white no. yeah and but it's it's just the fact that she can't make the choice to date somebody that she just likes because she just because to. she wants to and it's attached to it's racialized yeah, yeah. because he is white and 
she is black and there's there is a kind of an ownership like tension there because oh yeah you can't let one of the black women slip away mm-hmm. and and be be, be them white devils, quote unquote. But then yeah. a black man will turn right around and date outside of his race and won't see an issue. But it'll always be in relation to, well, not always, because there are times when it's just like I like who I like, and mm-hmm. that's okay. But then there are times when it's it's in demeaning black women. This is why I dated outside yeah. of my race. Mm-hmm. It's quite patriarchal if you think about it. Absolutely, <laughs> everything is. Um, but I think that's a perfect transition into talking about. Um, Dwayne and his tendency to date <laughs> lighter skin. <laughs> tendency is an understatement. His his intent, um, it, it, intentional dating of lighter skin women because it's, it's it is obviously intentional because it is the only. I don't know. Maybe that's bad for me to say it's intentional, but cut that. Dwayne's dating a lighter skinned woman. Mm-hmm. For those who have not seen a different world, Dwayne dates a total of four women. None of them are dark-skinned. Well, he doesn't date Denise, but he's like fawning over her the whole first season and some of the second season. Um, And then he goes from Denise to Colonel Taylor's daughter, who is mixed race. She's um, black and white. And then to Kinu, who is black and Japanese. And then to Whitley, who is light skinned. Um, so yeah, that's a little. That's, that's just a little background on who he's dated. Um, his mom wants him to date Kim, who's a darker skinned woman, but he's just like, no, I'm I'm in love with Whitley, which I don't think that's an that situation is an issue of colorism, but I do. There are debates about. The women that he's dated, yeah. why they've always been lighter complected and um, kind of questioning yeah. too. I don't know if like Dwayne is a character, if this is his motivation, but I can see it being like a thought process in the minds of the creators and the casting of the love interests or whatever. Um, I mean, this is kind of a difficult conversation to navigate, so I'm not really sure what the culpability for this is, but it is common I think for to associate um like to have this positive association with someone's proximity to whiteness so mm-hmm. like lighter skin being emblematic of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and especially given Dwayne's background um Dwayne comes from a lower income family um his mom doesn't work and his dad's a bus driver and I don't I don't know if this is true, but like I kinda wonder if it's because of that, like he's like, Well, maybe if I do differently, if I don't marry a dark skinned woman or if I don't if I kinda reaching. But <laughs> if well if if I reach that proximity to whiteness to some degree, could I get out Whoa. of the lifestyle that I that I know? That's a fan theory. That's interesting. Um, to like to be associating like darker skin with his mom and then that with uh being of lower income or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Whitley, I think Whitley Whitley is very affluent. Very very affluent, like southern southern uh money. Yeah. Like old money. Old money. Old southern money. So like wow. 
That's interesting that they that they even that she has such a hard southern accent too. Yeah. Because like I don't know many I don't I don't know many I mean being from the south I don't know many black women of any shade that have that hard of a southern accent. But like, because that, that, that's very that's stereotypical. Have <laughs> accent. Just the, the that history behind that is that's how she got the role. Like she just walked in with some crazy accent, and they were like, "You Whitley." That's like because that that's accent not, that's is not how awful. she talks at all. Oh well, that accent is awful. It's bad. Dwayne. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's raspy too. Oh, now we're just it's, it's, it's shrill. <laughs> it is, but we, I don't want to talk about her voice. That's <laughs> that's mean. <laughs> but I think it is emblematic of a larger thing. This this I think this theory like I don't know. It just echoes this past. Mm-hmm. Um, with with the colorism, we see it in. Um, I know you were talking about how the Jezebel, it's like to embrace your inner Jezebel. Mm-hmm. But do we get that when it comes to Pam and Gina, where it's, I really feel like Gina, or not Gina, Pam is written in a way that is to be put in a negative light because Martin's always like getting on her about, you know, her hair and, and her lust for men and whatnot. Yeah, well, like I said, Pam is more... Pam is not more Jezebel. She's more Sapphire. Mm-hmm. Sapphire being that more verbose characteristic, always being loud or more outspoken. Mm-hmm. And Gina, Gina is outspoken, but not to the degree that Pam is. Right. Gina is more docile than anything. And in the episodes we watched, so, sorry, in the episodes we watched, Gina's always like. Kind of like wearing like a suit-ish, mm-hmm. skirt suit-ish, skirt suit-ish outfit. And Pam is always more street style. Yeah. And we see uh, this idea of docileness as far as like with lighter-skinned women when it mm-hmm. comes to when Aunt Viv is recast for um, a lighter skin. Janet Huber is recast for Daphne uh, Maxwell Reed, the quote-unquote light-skinned Aunt Viv. So... Light skin on Viv is more domestic. She's at home. She's not going to her classroom teaching the way Janet Hubert was in the show. Mm-hmm. She's um, always like letting Will just get away with with anything. He's like, oh well. She's oh well. Whereas Janet Hubert would be like, now Will, you know you need to do da da da. So we see this. Um, she's a lot less vocal she's a uh, a lot less like romantic with 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 uh philip mm-hmm. so we get this um more lighter skin on it's less romantic yeah yes interesting like i, I even like remember they've had scenes with dark skin yeah where they've been more interactive mm-hmm. and yeah like they're the kissing one, and whatnot yeah. yeah the scene with her birthday yeah, yeah. And he's just like, I don't care what you're wearing. <laughs> he's like, you were the most. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just kind of. And with um, I remember there was a scene where uh, Philip was trying to be romantic with with Daphne or Miss Reed, and she fell asleep on him. And I don't know, I can't remember exactly like what she, what was going on in the episode. She might have been like wor- working like day in and day out, and just been tired. But I do remember that she just 
it wasn't as overt. The romantic relationship between them wasn't as overt mm-hmm. as versus when. Because uh, you would think that like having a more sexual aunt viv would be would be uh, safer through lighter skin aunt viv, mm-hmm. but like it it makes more sense like historically that like with this whole Jezebel um, kind of dichotomy, like that. I, I, and I'm not even saying that Aunt Viv is even a Jezebel, but like the fact that like darker skin Aunt Viv is more expressive in that way, and mm-hmm. that lighter skin Aunt Viv is more akin to like the 19th century values that like a white woman would hold mm-hmm. with like purity and like prim and proper. So actually, I do kind of remember what happened. So uh, Jenny Hewitt was pregnant with Nikki, mm-hmm. and you know, pregnant women in sitcoms are always vocal about something i guess and uh, she you know there was a lot of stuff going on in the show so after nikki was born she that's when they recasted uh daphne and there was always a joke with um with jazz when he comes over and he's like uh, you know if you look real different ever since you had that baby and then will would look into the camera and be like eh, yeah, I, I guess he does look different and so it's there's this thing about being a mother and, you know, a pregnant, a pregnant dark skinned woman would definitely be way more vocal and uh, irritated with any of the things that goes on in the uh, in the house versus when she's a mother. And now she's you know, she's had the child and now she's just happy to take care of him. And, you know, she's all motherly and domestic and, and docile and whatnot and quiet because she doesn't want to disturb the baby, all this. But even with that, let's not forget that Janet Hewitt, well, Darcy and I Viv, they didn't already had three kids. Mm-hmm. So what would be the difference between that and baby Nikki? Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm over here shrugging. Like, even with that, like, because there was like stuff behind the scenes going on with her. So. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But but um we do with uh as far as like colorism and sexuality, um when we see Martin uh portray a, a dark skinned woman like Shanene, mm-hmm. she is more like oh and and his mama because his mama is asexual, she doesn't like worry about trying to get any men or mm-hmm. a, a, a new husband or whatnot. And Shanene is all the time looking for a man, all the time ready to have sex and whatnot. Also has a bad attitude. Also has a bad attitude. She's ready to fight all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of points back to my point that I made about Dwayne. So, why is Martin always dogging out dark complexed women? His mom is dark skin as well. Mm-hmm. And then it's like Gina. So the disconnect. Yeah. It. I'm trying to think of how to put this to words, but like it, it kind of goes back to that same thing I was talking about earlier, where like seeing, uh, like whiteness or proximity to whiteness as like a uh, a leg up socially in mm-hmm. a way, or like you're you're moving up the ladder mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and you, when you see somebody who's of the same complexion as you, you don't like the the master. T- oh, I don't want to use that language. 
the uh, slaveholders that have taught you to hate yourself and hate your blackness. And when you see somebody of that of that complexion, just like you, it it, it doesn't run well with you. And to be close to whiteness is a lot better. And like even in those uh, that one episode we watched, it was like the first episode where like he kind of ex- like Martin kind of expects Gina to be more more docile. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was like, please, baby, just like pretend I won the argument so I can just be feel good in front of my in front of whoever. And it's just like he tries to shrink her always in every, that way every episode to be honest the episode where he makes more she makes more money than him yeah and his his manhood is just attacked it his manhood's very fragile extremely um, and anyone who's willing to like poke the bubble on that like listen dog you you really you really mad that she made more money than you right is like it's going to be a dark-skinned woman it's going to be a problem mm-hmm. and that's it's just a poor representation of uh of black women period and i kind of feel like pan like he's like it makes it kind of emboldens his masculinity to like be on pam about like whatever absolutely mm-hmm. so um i don't know one thing we wanted to talk about was tyler perry and mm-hmm. so in the movie that i'm thinking of Tyler Perry, the family, Medea's family reunion. Uh, they, I cannot remember the names of the characters, but like there's two sisters, and then like they're each like engaged to these men. I might be missed, like not remembering correctly, but mm-hmm. I know like one of the men who ended up being like the worst guy ever. Or yeah, abusive. so wait, one wait. is yeah, he's abusive. abusive. Uh, that's Blair Underwood's character. Yeah, uh, but like this okay. going back to black women, like the two sisters, like one, they're they're like half sisters. Like one of them. Like so, dark, like dark skinnedness and light skinnedness is relative in this movie. Mm-hmm. But like the one, the sister who is darker skin, like their mom, like rejects her and thinks that she's not as pretty as the other one. Yeah. Um. She doesn't say it's because she's darker skin, but like she is the darker sister. Yeah, she has dreads. And yes. The other sister's hair is all flowy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like she reads like her. The other sister reads more black. Um. And they they the mother like hates her or deplores her because she finds her not as pretty or whatever as the other sister mm-hmm. and so that's something present in Tyler Perry films uh and this is kind of getting more just to colorism in general but like like you said like the darker skin uh uh love interest was the villain yeah and that's also uh with that the sister who who's I guess closer to whiteness or whatever her dad was also more affluent than yes than the other sisters and um so he plays directly into lighter skinnedness being akin to whiteness and so like them having a politics adjacent to whiteness mm-hmm. as well so there's that um there's one more thing that i wanted to talk about and that is there was this whole situation in which cat williams had an interview with a radio show and the topic of tiffany haddish came up and it was the the question was is Tiffany Haddish funny and has she done enough to be labeled as a to receive merit as a comedian because of the fact that she hasn't had uh, a stand up special and told jokes for an hour so that therefore she does not she has not earned the position of a of a comedian and Ke- Kevin Hart because he. I, I think because he had a uh, the movie Night School 
or yeah, that was coming out with Tiffany Haddish, mm-hmm. he emboldened himself to uh, go on the radio with her and uh, explain all the, of the uh, misconceptions that have been talked about with with uh, with Kevin Hart or, or with Cat Williams, and the conversation shifted from Cat Williams talking about Tiffany Haddish and her uh, merit as a comedian to Kevin Hart versus Cat Williams. And the question came up again is whether or not Tiffany Haddish has, um, if she stays within the the bubble of the stereotype cast that, uh, that black women have so so long been fighting, like Tiffany Haddish is ghetto and she's loud and she she wants a white man with a lot of money, so she's a gold digger and she's on top of that she's dark skinned. So does um, does Tiffany Haddish represent these things? And what does that say about the, um, her? Uh, in, like her impact on the uh, representation of black women. Um, with that, I think, um, like we were talking about earlier, there's the, the there's the reappropriation of a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And again, women can be all things. She doesn't have to put herself in the box that people would like for them for her to put herself in. She doesn't have to present herself a certain way to play on that respectability politic. Yeah, I was about to mention that. I'm so glad you said that because I was about to say it. So snaps. Um, she doesn't have to do that. She can present womanhood in her own way. She mm-hmm. can present being a comedian in her own way. Um, And it doesn't have to be bad. Yes, it's something that we fought for so long to try to escape but it's like that line I read earlier. You're, we fight so hard to try to escape the thing that we forget that it's something that's probably part of us. Mm-hmm. That's such a good thing. To, like, that's such a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a teaser right there, baby. That's a teaser. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's a teaser right there, baby. <laughs> and even with, with that, there's another question that you, you asked earlier mm-hmm. uh, before we recorded um does the critique of oh, her, yeah. does the critique of women who are comedians or women period take away from their um their success what they've done and it really just depends on what the critique is about if you if you're going to critique her because she's not funny okay cool that's an opinion that's subjective if you're critiquing about something like a typecast or yeah. something mm-hmm. else you're going into a whole different realm and it's not about the quality of the person and see with uh i think my issue with the with the idea that you cannot critique you know black talent is like there we you remember in class when we were talking about um writing and there's always room for improvement yeah in in writing and the fact that they're like there's never going to be a perfect paper written just like there's never a perfect person there's never going to be the perfect actress Tiffany Haddish and you know any black actress out there is never going to be like 
the best and the absolute best and there's nothing you can say about it because if you do then you're you're taken away from from what she's doing i can say tiffany haddish is like isn't as funny as someone like Samore or Wanda Sykes, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Tiffany Haddish is, she's starring in all these movies and all these, she's a huge success. She is like the it girl in Hollywood at the moment. And, and yeah, that's kind of like the, um, the James Baldwin's quote of, I, it's not necessarily America, but I love black people and I can critique black people because I love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like from the inside, from the inside. Yeah. But like, <sighs> Like, it's the same philosophy when when uh, people be like, well, if you don't like America, you can just get out. And, oh, I'm sorry, that was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't even know if I can say from the inside, because I don't want to say that you can never critique a black person if you're not. But, like, on the basis of... Yeah. Um, I, it's so difficult to, like, pinpoint exactly what we're saying. But, like, also, our politics are not perfect. Just, like, yeah. people aren't perfect. Right. So, like... And I think... <laughs> Black excellence is great. Yeah. But I think even in doing, in, in, in the recognition of black excellence, we, in a sense, begin to dehumanize the person because they are the thing that they've done. Mm-hmm. They're the thing that they've achieved. And so, and that's the takeaway from the fact that they can still be critiqued mm-hmm. as a human being. They can yeah. still make mistakes. As a human being, they are not just the thing that they've done. Right. Is that a, I think that's a good ending point. I think that is a great ending point. <laughs> okay, editor's note. So we wanted to kind of like, I don't know, explain the sentiment or the conversation we were having about like critiquing black people from inside versus outside or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, Ayana, what were you just saying? It was really fruitful. I was just saying um, it's it's okay to for you, Madison, to, to see it from the perspective of not wanting to talk about black folks as a black person around white folks. Yeah. But... Because then it kind of like... Because it it, in, in their mind, it'll probably like make it okay. Well, we can do this, too. But it... it there... Have we... I know for the other class, for the other podcast called uh, For Your Progress, we've we've already read The Worst of White Folks. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Okay. So, like, you, we, I just don't want to embolden anyone who would be able to, who would take the worst of Black folks in that sense and cast it as all Black folks. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's my fear in um, that critique. Uh, or, or, like, there's a difference between, like, critiquing, like, somebody's the art that they're producing or like the work that they're doing versus the, the person, person. Mm-hmm. you can critique a person's politics but like i don't know i feel like we fall into that dangerous char- territory of like critiquing someone on the basis of their blackness mm-hmm. and that's what i wanted to avoid when we we're discussing tiffany haddish just like critiquing her on the type of blackness that she like right. projects to the world i don't want and, and this, somebody to feel okay critiquing that and this is what I think is a misunderstanding about with whole with Tiffany Haddish's whole situation and Cat Williams critiquing what he was critiquing was um what she has done like in her career like she, he wasn't saying you know Tiffany Haddish sucks or she's not funny or you know she hasn't done like he was he's just saying these are the things that you know comedians do in order to establish themselves and have merit and this is these are the things that Tiffany Haddish has not done. And then when 
Kevin Hart comes on the scene trying to, as he puts it, uh, reclaim his sister's ball being kicked over the fence. He he is upset at the fact that she is being critiqued instead of focusing on what she's being critiqued on. And when he um, shifts the narrative from like about her her merit and talks about how how many ticket sales he's got over Cat Williams and all this, it's like you're not helping represent if if anyone's ever seen the interview, you he's he talks like 45 minutes out of the 50 minute interview and she talks like a, a small percentage of that. And so you're not helping represent her by speaking over her and talking for her, but you you have to like allow her to have her own voice, not even allow her. That's that's problematic language. Just you do you over here. If you want to defend her, that's fine. But if she's going to defend herself, then she needs to defend herself. You don't need to speak for her. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at click at Blackbox. And uh, send us DMs on how you feel about the show and the topic. And um, anything you think we can do better. There you go. Shout out to our cousins down the block. All right. Shout out to our cousins on the block. So, who wants to go first? Okay, so I want to shout out to Issa Rae, who is not only representing black women to the umpteenth degree with her show Insecure, but she just got casted for the uh, romantic comedy American Princess, which is uh, very positive to me that she is becoming, that she is showing herself as the a face of America that, you know, anyone can relate to this. Yeah. And also shout out to Michelle Obama, who has just announced the global girls Alliance, which is to help educate black girls and girls all across the planet. And that is like mad positivity. And I'm, I'm here for it. All right. And my shout out is a little bit more personal, but it's, I'm just so excited about it because yeah. Okay. So uh, I was walking out to class one day and one of our uh, classmates, she's been on a podcast before. Her name is Abria, or at least she's hosting next week with Black Criminality. So catch that next week. But um, her name is Abria and she caught me up to class and she was like, is your daddy so-and-so? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, <laughs> your dad and my granddad are first cousins. And I was like, huh? And she was like, yeah. I was like, we're cousins. Like, you're, we're second cousins. I was like, so shout out to my cousin down the block, Abria. Tune in next week for our episode on black criminality. Don't forget to follow us on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at click at Black Box Studios um, and DM us on any of the topics that you guys are listening to. Tell us what we can do different. Tell us what how you feel. Ask us any questions and we'll get back to you in a later episode or something like that. And, uh, deuces.